0: Hey everyone, this week we are throwing it back to one of our favorite episodes from last year with TV anchor and journalist, Gail King. We hope Gail's advice on how to know your worth at work gives us all a little more confidence as we take on a new year. We'll be back with fresh episodes next week, but until then, please enjoy our convo with Gail.
1: You in your own mind have to figure out what you want what you will accept and what you won't accept and be prepared to walk away if they're not going to meet what you want.
0: I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish with The Skin.
2: We've run into so many questions over the years and had so many moments where we needed advice and we got it from women who'd been there.
0: And that's what we're bringing you with this show. Each week, we're helping you get what you want out of your career by talking to the smartest leaders we know.
2: Because we know your work life is a lot more than 9 to 5. All right, let's get into it. Hi, everyone. We are so excited to talk to today's guest. Gail King is the co-host of CBS This Morning, where she brings millions of Americans the news each morning she's also the editor-at-large of oprah daily throughout her journalism career she's won a number of awards including three emmys and a spot in the broadcasting hall of fame while at the anchor desk gail has shaped national conversations especially around racial justice and the black lives matter movement gail welcome to the show Hi, Carly and Danielle. Hi. Hi, you guys. How are you doing? Oh,
1: it's been a hectic morning. All good.
2: Before we start talking about work and your career, we like to start out these interviews with our quick lightning round to get warmed up. Quick questions, quick answers. You ready, Gail?
1: I stay ready. <laughs> That's why I love you. I stay ready, Carly and Danielle. Let's, <laughs> Let's go. Let's do it. Okay. First job on your resume. Foster's Breeze It's a hamburger stand, and I work behind the counter at a hamburger stand.
0: Do you make a good hamburger?
1: I don't say I'd make a good hamburger, but I was really good at taking the orders and putting them in the bags. Okay.
0: Well, next question was actually going to be Do you have a secret hobby or skill? Now, you could say it's putting a hamburger into a bag, but is there another one?
1: I'm looking for a hobby. I don't actually have a hobby. I don't. I don't either. I aspire to have a hobby other than sleep. And my skill is I think I'm a very good eater, whether it's fine dining. Whether it's a dive place, I think I'm a very good eater. That's a great skill to have. I think so too. I'm very proud of that too. I once went on a date, guys, and a guy said to me, I've never seen a woman order this much.
0: <gasps> did did With... he have a second date? Yeah. No, he did not. <laughs>
1: yeah, no. He did no not.
0: Absolutely not. No, he not. did not. Do you speak any other languages? Pig Latin. What best describes your workday? Working nine till blank.
1: It is working nine till blank is good. It is working nine to five plus five, I would say.
0: Are you an inbox zero person?
1: This is such a great question because the other day I looked at it, guys, I know I keep saying I'm going to get to zero. I've never gotten to zero and it had something like 2000 emails. It's Oh bad. my gosh. Yeah.
2: What is the hardest interview you've done?
1: I would say Frank Zappa from years ago. It's the one that threw me because hmm. I asked him, you know, his children are named Dweezel and Moon Unit. I do know that. And so I thought it was a very fair question to ask, you know, Dweezel and Moon Unit. Those are very unusual names. Is there a history there or is there a meaning? He goes, no, they're names like Gail. Do you have any other questions? Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, and I was so thrown by that. I was so yeah. thrown by that because I didn't even think that was a rude or improper question. I saw a later interview that he did where he had explanations about where they came from. So for whatever reason he was in that, a day, bad mood that day, yeah, whatever, whatever reason that day, he didn't feel like answering the question, but that threw me for a very long time. I get that. What's the last show you binge watched? I've just discovered this show that is hilarious called Chad.
0: Ooh,
2: oh, I don't, I don't
1: know that one. Oh, gosh, guys. Chad is a high school boy, but he's played by a comedian, Nassim. She was on a Saturday Night Live. It is hilarious. Oh, I'm going to look it up. Half hour show. Yes, look it okay, up. Okay, wow. well, she wrote it. She's created it. She wrote it, and she stars in it. It's very, good. I'm gonna look good. it up. Um,
0: all right. My last question is: Do you have a nickname? Like, does your f- close, closest family and friends call you something else?
1: No, it's no, it's always just Gail. Yeah,
0: just like Moon Unit.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay, we're gonna get into it now. You obviously come across as a natural extrovert. Has that always been the case? Is that just who you are?
1: Yes, 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 capital yes, exclamation point. When I was in elementary school, you know, I got a note home from the teacher that said, Dear Mr. and Mrs. King, Gail is a very good student. She's very bright, but she tends to talk a lot in class and is disruptive. Now, in my day, when you got a note home from the teacher, you're in big, big trouble. So it says, at an early age, at a very early age, I was always very chatty and very outgoing. So, yes.
0: Where does that confidence come from? Is your whole family like that?
1: Well, I didn't say it was confident though, Carly. She just said, have you always been an extrovert? I don't think because you're an extrovert, you're confident. I've just always been very curious. You know, when I was younger, they would call it nosy. Oh, you're so nosy. I hate that word nosy. I prefer curious or inquisitive, but I don't necessarily think that means confidence. I just think it means I I just want to know stuff.
0: But I think there is naturally a sense of confidence. If you can put yourself out there to ask questions, to have the courage to be inquisitive or curious, and eventually, obviously, that led you to the career path that you're on, there is a natural sense of fearlessness in asking what you need to know.
1: But I never thought of that as being brave or hard to do. I I never did. I just thought, you want to know something, then you just have to ask about it. I was never a shy kid. I don't know why that is. It just was never my personality.
2: So before you anchored national TV, you worked for local stations around the country.
1: I love local news, Danielle. Love it. Yes.
2: And I want to talk about what that's actually like, because I think it gets glamorized, but we know it's horrible hours. Sometimes it's endless fact-checking. You're not getting paid a lot. We have gone through it on the producer side. And those experiences, especially when you're young in the media business, aren't always the most like affirming ones. I think that there's a lot of questioning on what you're doing and you really have to love it. When I look at you, I'm like, you are someone that knows your value. How did you start to develop that
1: sense of self-worth? Well, you have to love it, but you also have to believe that you can do it. You know, even when it doesn't go according to plan, and I've had plenty of times where- You know, I've made mistakes on the air, but I ultimately believe that I could learn how to do this. I did believe that. Where does that come from? To me, it just comes from doing and redoing and never letting anybody say, no, you can't do it. No one ever told me, by the way, that you can't do this. You know, I had a really good lesson when I was in my early 20s. And I had applied for a reporter training program, and it was at the station where I used to work. So I knew all the people. They knew me. I had a good rapport and relationship with everybody, and there were only two slots. And, you know, I was one of the finalists, but when it came down to it, they didn't hire me. And I have to tell you, I was shocked. I was so stunned because, number one, I thought, I got the inside track because I know all these people, They know my work skills. They know my work ethic, blah, 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 blah. So when I didn't get it, I was shocked and dare I say hurt. So I went into the news director. He's sitting at his office with his feet up on the desk. And I walk in and I said, hi, Mr. Snyder. And he goes, yeah, which isn't very welcoming. (laughs) I said, do you have a minute? Yeah. What do you want? And I said, well, I just wanted to talk to you about the reporter training program. I'm just curious about why I didn't get the job. I work here. I know everybody. To my knowledge, everybody likes what I do. So I, I'm just curious about why I didn't get one of the positions. And he goes, you're right. You work here. Everybody thinks very highly of you. You are very well liked. You are certainly very competent and qualified. And then he said something that I thought was very life-changing. But you know what, Gail? Life ain't fair. Anything else? Oh, my God. <laughs> and so, you know what I said? I go, no, nope, nothing else. Thank you for your time. Wow. But in that moment, I thought, okay, it was nothing. I was relieved to know that it was nothing I had done. Right. I hadn't screwed up in any kind of way. He just goes, you know what? Life ain't fair. <laughs> and that has really served me well in life. Yeah. You know, another game-changing moment for me was when I got my first job, because I didn't get the reporter training program that year, but I did get it the second year. And I had a mentor there. I got my first job in Kansas City. I'm this puppy reporter. It's my first live shot. And everything isn't going according to plan. You know, my clothes hadn't arrived in a new city, so I didn't have clothes. Talk about making no money. I was making less than $20,000 a year. So I'd been wearing the same outfit where you had a reversible vest, turning it inside out, waiting for my clothes to come was going to be my first live shot, trying to get the lay of the land. So I called Bruce. This is his name, Bruce Johnson, who's a reporter. I said, Bruce, I'm about to do my first live shot and my clothes haven't come and I'm not sure. And uh, How do you think I should start it? Blah, 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 blah. And he goes, he listened. Then he went, oh, Gail, grow up and hung up the telephone. Oh my goodness. So much so that you go, hello, <laughs> hello. Because yeah. you can't believe that he's hung up on you. What I expected, guys, he was going to say, Don't worry about it. You'll be fine. Just, you know, start off by saying blah, 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 blah. And he went, Gail, oh, Gail, grow up. I love the telephone. Carly, I love it now. I love it now. I would not have loved it in the moment. Oh, at the time, at the time I wanted to cry, but I knew I had to, I bit slap myself around. You know, you just say, okay. Yeah. But it said to me, figure it out. And also
0: like have perspective. Like that was a a challenge you wish you had had the year before. And it's like you would have killed for that
1: so I did figure it out I did figure it out so I don't know if I subscribe to the tough love theory I myself would never say that to somebody who had called me looking for advice and they were nervous my thing would be oh it's going to be all right what's the story about try I mean I would try to be helpful I would not just say uh, grow up and hang up the telephone but in the end though it did serve me well
0: yeah it worked do you remember what was the very first time you negotiated for yourself?
1: That didn't go well. Um, <laughs> Same. Yeah, it didn't yeah. go well. Maybe when I was way back and, you know, my first job in Kansas City, number one, I didn't even negotiate. They told me this was a salary and I went, okay. So there was no negotiation. Then after I'd been there after a year, I tried to go back in. they said, well, you know, I, I didn't have an agent or anything at the time. And I knew I was doing well at that station, but I I, I didn't really speak up for myself for a very long time.
0: I want to talk about negotiating for a second, because obviously... Your life became much more high profile. Your jobs became much bigger, and your professional negotiations have really been at the center of a lot of articles, a lot of public intrigue, especially your 2019 contract negotiation with
1: CBS News. I read about that. Yeah. Did
0: you read about it? Yeah. Is that how you found out I about read it? Read about it. We read about it too. Yeah. <laughs> I want to understand what your mindset was going in. And this is also a career podcast where, you know, we're also looking for advice and our listeners are looking for advice. But like, how did you know it was time to ask for more or for something
1: different? I will say this, that when you are in a position that you know you bring value to the network or wherever you're working, it does give you some leverage. It does give you some leverage. That said, that said, I'm also mindful that it's a business. And ultimately, they get to decide, whoever your employer is, they get to decide whether you get to play in the sandbox or not. And I'm also aware of that. And so you in your own mind have to figure out what you want, what you will accept and what you won't accept, and be prepared to walk away if they're not going to meet what you want. I'm now at the stage where if I don't get what I want, either I can decide I'm going to stay or I'm very comfortable in walking away. And I don't say that with arrogance, but I've just reached a point in my life that I don't really want to argue. It's sort of like marriage or dating. I'm now divorced. I know in marriage you have to compromise, and I get that, but I just don't want drama. I don't want games. I don't want it to be hard. And so that's how I feel about my job when it comes to negotiating. I don't want to have to feel that I have to convince you, whoever you are, wherever you're working, that I bring value to your company. And if you don't think I bring value to your company, I'm okay. I'm okay with saying, okay, maybe this isn't for us. So I at least want to work for people that believe that I bring value to their company.
0: There's different negotiating styles. And to be fully transparent, I don't think Danielle and I have figured out hours yet, but I think there's the mode of like playing hard to get. I don't like playing hard to
1: get. I don't like that. Well,
0: so my question was like, are you somebody that is like, this is what I want? This is the number I want. These are the terms I want. This is what it's going to be or or nothing.
1: Yeah, I, I think you can say, this is what I want. And if they say, no, we're prepared to offer this, then you can decide if you want to accept that. But I don't have the, it's my way or the highway. I don't have that. You can come back and say, well, you know, Gail, we're not comfortable with this figure. How about this figure? And explain to me why I can't have what I'm asking for. Explain that to me. Or you can say, okay, I think I can work with this number. Yeah. But I don't like game playing. I really don't. I don't like game playing. You know what else frustrates me? Why does a person have to get another job offer from someone else before your company decides, oh, wait, 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 wait. No, we don't want you to leave. We want you to stay. I I really, I, I look forward to the day where a company will say, you know what, Carly, we think you're great. So what can we do to keep you? It is still too often. It seems to be that you have to get a job offer from someplace else for your company to realize that we want to keep you. I never understand the logic of that. And the truth of the matter is, when people feel they are appreciated at work and that work wants to provide a good environment and likes what they do, you work harder for that company. You really do. You work harder for that company.
2: So one thing I want to make sure that we talk about is for women and particularly women of color, there's an enormous amount of pay inequity in any industry. Yeah. And I want to talk about when you've encountered those inequities, example, fighting for equal pay to male co-anchors, what have you done? But I think more more importantly for people listening how can they bolster diversity of voices and support for those fighting various inequities in their own
1: offices but you really just have to face you just have to take it head on though you know and it's very easy to present your employers with what you've done i don't think that pay is you know when someone goes in for a raise to say i don't think it's deserved i think it's earned and there's a difference just because you've been someplace a long time doesn't mean that you deserve to get a pay raise. We've all seen people that have been there a long time, and it doesn't mean that, that you automatically get a raise. I think you have to earn it. You have to earn it. And when you can put it in black and white and point out, this is what I've done, blah, 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 blah. And even for myself, I never went in and said, I want to have as much money as fill in the blank X makes. I didn't base it upon that. I really based on what I was doing, what I thought the market would bear. But I never said, if you don't give me X, Y and Z, because so and says as X, Y and Z. Number one, I was never sure what anybody was making, to be honest with you. I don't know that. I had an agent who was handling all of that for me. But I I would go on based on what I brought to the table. I'm not trying to figure out what other people are doing. I based it on what I thought I brought to the table.
2: Who do you go to for advice when you're in these moments? And I'm assuming, you know, you have your lawyer, you have your agent, but who do you lean on when you're going through this in the middle of it?
1: Well, I go to them about anything that are important life decisions. My favorite daughter, Kirby, my favorite son, Will, who are now adults.
0: By the way, side note. When we first met Gail, I didn't know that you only had one yeah. daughter and one son. So she's like, this is my favorite daughter, Kirby. And I'm like, well, that's pretty, like, I did not like get blunt. it. And yeah. I was like, yeah. good,
1: good for Kirby. Like yeah. she, she, like, she, she well, outdid the other sister. She's my favorite, my favorite daughter, Kirby and favorite son, Will. I mean, I am Gail nuts about Gail does do them. the tough
2: love. Yes.
1: <laughs> I am nuts about them. You know, and they're 34 and 35, they're potty trained and employed and they are both scary smart. They're scary smart.
0: We've talked about them. They are very, very smart.
1: And I I really do like their take on things. I love their take on things. And of course, Oprah. So it's it's Oprah, favorite daughter, Kirby, favorite son, Will. They they are a great kitchen cabinet. They're a great sounding board for any major decision in my life.
2: Do they all give you different points of feedback? Obviously, it is an understatement, but like the huge name and then People that have different perspectives are part of a different generation. I'm wondering what those conversations are like.
1: Well, I mean, they they have different points of view, but, you know, we're pretty much in sync in our thinking most of the time. But, you know, Mm -hmm. there'll be times where I'll suggest something and they go, oh, God, that's a terrible idea. And I may think it's a good idea, but it does give me pause. It doesn't mean I will follow the advice, but it does give me pause. You know, when Maya Angelou was alive, she was always someone I could talk to about anything. Like, what do you think about this? I can remember once I was having problems at work and I called, say, Maya. And then they said, and then blah, blah, blah. And she she listened. Then she said, stop it. I go, well, wait, I'm not done. And I'm trying to decide. She goes, stop it. Stop it. Just say thank you. I go, what am I saying thank you for? You haven't even heard the story. She goes, it doesn't matter. She said, you're whining. And whining is very unbecoming because it lets them know there's a victim in the neighborhood. Wow. Isn't that good? That is really good. And so I'm always cognizant of that, too. Bitching and moaning. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. And so you really do have to. But I've, I've never forgotten that either. I've never forgotten that either.
0: You've obviously, like, you're Gail King. Like, you've had huge jobs. Know, like, we're talking to you. are sitting in your... What
1: does that even mean? You're Gail King. I never even know what that means. You're a big deal. I don't feel a big no, deal. No, what
0: it means, I will, I never even told you this. When I was 20 years old, I was an intern at CNBC yes. and you were coming in for an event and I ended up being alone in an elevator with you and I literally couldn't breathe because I was like, you're Gail King. You're a big deal. Car- Carly, and isn't that hilarious now? <laughs> yeah, it is. it is. I mean, it's funny, but you're, you're a big deal. And I, I think, you know, for a number of years, most people knew you as somebody's best friend, despite your decades of work as a journalist.
1: As Oprah's when, friend, yes, yes.
0: When people downplayed or overlooked your accomplishments, like how did you handle that? How did you maintain your sense of, of self and self-worth?
1: Uh, you know, I always think it's good, number one, to be underestimated and over I always think that. But I was never hung up that people only knew me as Oprah's best friend. I'm like, great. Especially if you were trying to get into a restaurant or go somewhere, I'm thinking, God, I wish I had an Oprah t-shirt on right now. (laughs) So I was never hung up on that. And the reason was because I was so happy with my own life and what I do. You know, I wasn't trying to be her. I never thought I was her. I, I was so excited about her success that I just thought it was a kick. And not for nothing, who doesn't want to be her friend? And who certainly doesn't want to be her best friend? So I never felt, oh God, I wish people would know me. I I never thought that. I thought, great, if that's how you know me, I'm okay with that. Because I never saw myself, Carly, standing in her shadow. I always saw myself standing in her light, always.
2: You know what I love about hearing how you describe that is just it's so refreshing when even today there's so much depiction about women, even in friendships, fighting. I don't know if I've ever seen you know, a depiction of two women who are best friends and who are both successful in their <clears> own throat> rights. Throat> well, yeah. Us. <laughs> um, <laughs> We're still trying to be Oprah level, so like you know, we we're that's gonna fair, bring our fair. perspective down a little bit. That's um, fair. We would like to be you one day, but saying Carly doesn't get me into restaurants, so that's until true. that happens, that's yeah, true. But it's just it's really refreshing. I think looking at your friendship, it's a great model for women supporting women in different ways.
1: I know it's so upsetting to me, Danielle, when I see women not supporting each other, whether you're friends or not. You know, I learned long ago that there's always going to be somebody who's cuter, prettier, richer, thinner, smarter, all of that. And I've just gotten to a place where I feel really good about me, honestly. And so I don't think I'm the cutest girl in the class. I know I'm not the thinnest. I know I'm not the smartest, but I really do like me. I like hanging out with me. I think that, you know, we I have a good time. So I, when I see somebody else, I, I can really look at them and say, God, I just think you are gorgeous. I went to the In the Heights premiere last night. Oh,
0: jealous. Which,
1: by the way, that movie is so freaking good. I am so oh, excited. I can't wait
2: to see it. It's this so weekend. good.
1: So good. But I was talking to one of the uh, stars of the thing. I go, you are so pretty, you know, and I didn't feel and she was, you know, she, you know, so of course, said thank you. But I didn't feel that it was taking anything away from me. Because I admire somebody else in that way, whether you're wearing a cute dress or cute shoes or whatever it is. But I I see so many women and I will walk into a room and I will see women do this to me. They will look me up and down in a very judgy way. It's not friendly, not friendly. It's very judgy. And that's the person I go over to and I go, hi. And they're like stunned. They're like stunned because they they certainly where they got that opinion of me, I don't know. But they certainly had an opinion of, oh, she's going to walk in here like, who does she think she is, which has never, ever, ever been my vibe. And I will go up to that person who I can tell is kind of judgy and is just not nice. You know, a feeling when you walk in a room, you can feel it. Yeah, you can feel it and you can see it. And I go straight for that hussy to say, hello. (laughs) So good to see you. What's your name? With kindness. (laughs) Kill him with kindness. Yes.
0: Before we wrap up today, I want to go with one question from a listener. Megan has a question for you.
1: Gail, we all hear know your worth, but how do you actually do that? I think you know your worth based on the results that you get in the job that you do. Everybody knows, guys, if you're doing a good job. I don't know anybody who is doing a good job and is not sure if they're doing a good job. I don't.
0: I don't know if I agree with that because I can think of a lot of examples where people who are are doing an amazing job, but if there's still always, you know, areas of development and there's still critical feedback everyone gets. And I think that there's definitely a tendency of people to sometimes only hear that critical feedback and not necessarily embrace where they're thriving.
1: That's fair. That's a fair point. You do hear the critical feedback, but isn't there a part of you, Carly, that knows I can hear the critical feedback and say, okay, that resonates with me. But I can also say, I know I nailed that project. I know yeah. I nailed that yeah. interview. I yeah. know you asked me to do X, Y, and Z, and I delivered on that boom, boom, boom. Everybody everybody does know that. You're right. I, I can get a 100 positive comments, and you get that one cranky Yankee one, and that's the one I obsess over and think, well, golly. I mean, I, back in the day, I used to respond to them. Nah, 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 nah. Now they say, Gail, stop typing. Stop typing. (laughs) Leave, Leave it alone. I have stopped doing that. I have stopped doing that.
0: I have a last question, which is the first thing we asked you today was about being an extrovert and where does that confidence come from? And you said, that doesn't mean that I'm confident. It's just, that's who I am. But everything that you've said today about like, you like yourself, like you know yourself and you know your worth, like all of that to me, Is confidence, and it's it's a it's a really aspirational level of confidence. Do you consider yourself confident?
1: Yeah, I do. Of course, I do. Now, yes, I do. I'm not going to act like, oh no, I'm not confident. Oh no, I'm not. You know, listen. I still feel that. That said, I still feel that I'm a work in progress. That there's still more to learn. I do feel that. Uh, You know, I never want to get to the point where I don't that I don't think that there's room to grow, or Mm -hmm. that there's nothing else for me to accomplish. So do I feel confident about myself and my job? Yes. But in my 20s, something, no. I mean, listen, I-, I had my own grandmother say to me, Gail, Mother Nature wasn't as kind to you as she was to other little girls. You really need to learn how to use- wear makeup like your friend, no. like your friend, Ofri, uh, no. my grandmother's from Baltimore. I mean, that's your own grandmother saying that to you, Carly. Oh, how are you supposed to feel confident about that? You go look in the mirror. I went, I remember going to my mom going, God, mom, guess what Mama Kelly said? It was her mother. And she said, when did she say that to you? And then it became a thing at my house. But so, or you make a mistake and you think, oh God. Um, But listen, you make one mistake. You're not going to make that mistake again. That is how you learn, girls. That's how you learn. You got to have a couple of things where you fall on your face, you fall on your butt and you, you stand up and you keep on going.
2: Gail. Thank you so much. I remember when the skim
1: started thank you. and now I get to be on the skim. It's crazy. Thank you so much thank for asking you. me. Thank you so much for asking me.
2: Thanks for listening to this episode of nine to five ish with the skim. A new
0: episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. In the meantime, check out our news podcast, Skim This. Every Thursday, we cover what you need to know each week in 30 minutes or less.